that it meets your expectations, but also meets your needs. If they can also satisfy you, like this is a branding play, this is a branding talk here where, where products or service can delight you on top of meeting your needs and satisfying you, that in itself is a system. You have to be able to deliver that. I don't care if you're doing a service, if you're producing a SaaS, or if you're producing a product. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Until tomorrow, No Code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate to a hypnotherapist to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice. And now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective and persistence to go on this journey with me and get from the experts as well as the experiences of other founders the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. My guest today is all about scaling and impact. His name is Raul Hernandez Ochoa, and Raul is a business strategist helping entrepreneurs realize their potential. He has trained hundreds of entrepreneurs through live seminars, online programs, and private masterminds. He has played key part in helping scale businesses and has overseen hundreds of online advertising campaigns. His work has helped positively impact the lives of his clients and the teams he has helped flourish. He lives in San Diego, has a loving life with his family, and when he's not working or drinking a homemade cold brew coffee, he's either serving his community and church, training for a crazy obstacle course race, or simply serving. Raul, how are you today? Doing wonderful. I'm really, really excited and happy to have you. It's an honor and a privilege, really. And... To ask you one basic question, what is your background? What is your life story that brought you to be the Raul of today? Oh, that's a, that's a very long life story. To keep it short, um, I think that definitely the, the work ethic that I learned from my family, um, you know, uh, well, I don't know if you know, but mostly for, for like the, the stereotype that Mexicans work hard, I think it's very true. Like I had seen my dad work from a young age, my mom took care of me. So being able to have that work ethic um, on the entrepreneurship side, though, like I remember going to, to a uh, in college, there was a program called the Lavin Entrepreneur Program. And that was if you're familiar with like credits in school, like it, one credit means nothing like it's a simple course. But this um, two year program uh, was everything for me in college. It was a two year program. It was one credit or one unit. And it was only we were only around 12 people or 12 kids 
from the entire business school who were in this program. So we had to apply and get interviewed to get in. And that changed my life, changed my trajectory to understand what entrepreneurship is, understand, you know, what you can do with entrepreneurship and being able to learn with from um, some pretty interesting founders, uh, you know, local founders here in San Diego, California, um, to learning how to paddleboard with a co-founder of Volcom, uh, to being a having the opportunity to have the the Costco CEO at the time, uh, you know, speak to have Ralph Rubio speak. It's just it's incredible to have that exposure at a young age to know that there's something else out there, and then that that kind of drove me to after college knowing that I was going to build something, and um, you know, was working with J.P. Morgan Chase Bank at the time as I was building a company uh, in off hours, so that's early a.m late PM with a co-founder that I never met in person until recently. He was from Brooklyn. And from there, we just started online and in the media space. Um, we were building companies in the media space or a company in the media space. We were trying to build a software company that failed uh, because we, the, the niche that we were uh, or the market that we were interviewing, they needed more help with growth, marketing, and sales so that we started learning marketing, started delivering marketing services. And that worked pretty well for, um, for us to have the confidence to go on it, uh, for me to go in it full time. Uh, and then from there, we, we've realized what we were building and didn't want to continue down that road. So I uh, started working with other digital marketing agencies. And then from there, that's really where I got the exposure of training a lot of people online, uh, learning growth, marketing, uh, and pretty much digital advertising, direct response, which is critical, a critical component. Uh, but at that, uh, that juncture, um, I was helping companies, uh, the digital media companies, like I was part of their leadership teams. I was helping lead the, the teams and the campaigns and even managing clients. And from there, learning that my particular skill set. Uh, you know, although I do know sales marketing, my particular skill set was with growth and systems and operations. Um, the most recent success that I've had was with a digital marketing firm called Seven Mile, where we helped them grow from like seven people to 21, 24 people in less than a year. Um, so we 3x the company size. Uh, we almost almost tripled revenue um, in less than a year. And all of that because of, you know, the operations, the system and the scale. Um, and I documented that in my book, Productive Profits, not just that particular case study, um, but the principles that I've learned from all the different either entrepreneurs that I've worked with, as well as with the companies that I've helped influence and, uh, you know, help grow. So yeah, it's, uh, my life story condensed in what, three minutes. <laughs> I love that, especially when you said that something is just being exposed to a person for example my audience being exposed to you or something we can read in a book or hear in a video can change the trajectory of our lives like you said with entrepreneurship and since you have been immersed and knee-deep in the entrepreneurial world and helping companies scale what do you think is the biggest mistake people aren't aware they're doing when they start a business that is literally stopping them from seeing opportunities to scale or the ability to scale and grow that's a that's a good question it's a tough question too because from looking at different perspectives i would say the first one that comes to mind and this one's actually kind of fascinating is looking at the business you're actually in Let's say you've built a software company and you think you're in the business of serving clients. Let's say you're in the fintech space. 
Um, you think that you're in the fintechs providing a service. However, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, you're actually in the in, in, in the business of creating more customers and having your customers create more customers. In that perspective, and I know that sounds pretty cliche, but it's in pretty simple, but that perspective can change your approach for growth, can change the way that you approach customer success, can change the way that you approach new product features and developments, as well as can change the way that you create new opportunities for customers to refer, bring on, or sell new customers on your behalf. Um, that's that's just one little subtle shift that you can look at as a founder. I'm not sure if it's a mistake to to not know that that's the business you're in, but I think it's something that we can easily overlook. Um, the other one as well is, it's, and this again isn't a, a mistake or an issue, but it's just your leadership ability. Your ability to actually lead, let go, delegate, trust, and being able to understand what's the most important things that you as a leader or a founder should be working on. And what the team should be working on and what kind of team members you need to have on. What are their characteristics? What are their behavior traits? Who do you need for a specific role? And that way, when you're empowering the company, the team to work with the right people and you're associating with smarter people, um, it it kind of takes a life on its own where things that you may not have seen because you bring someone on. They see things from a different perspective and their their experience and their expertise gives you the best insights to take action on. That makes not only your life easier as a founder because you don't have to think of everything, but also you do have to manage that and manage that through effective leadership and making sure that the way that you cater to a team, you don't burn them out. The way that you cater to a team that makes sure that they understand the mission behind the company, make, making sure that you apply your company mission to their personal mission. So that there's alignment with uh, with goals and synergy. I love that. And the first thing that you mentioned reminds me that there is actually a book called Marketing Myopia written by Theodore Levitt in the 1960, exactly about how this myopic view of what your niche is or what you literally provide that can stop you from your ability to grow. So it's fantastic that you see that in reality and you work on it. And to to take things a bit more into perspective, and this year, 2020, has been hard for some companies and has been not so hard for others. What do you think? Are there any structural or definite changes to the way that business is done online and digitally that is caused by the uh, coronavirus? And if so, or if not, what is your expectation and prediction for 2021? I love that question. And I actually recently interviewed Eloy Guterres for, um, he's over in Portugal and he is like a digital transformation expert. And we discussed the, the three different areas when it comes to um, digitalization. So like the first phase or like the first thing is like digitalizing something, taking analog to um, to digital, meaning like paper to like a, a digital notepad. That's like the first way. The second is to taking, uh, I think this one's called the digitization, where it's uh, when you take your current processes, like in-person transactions and putting them online, right? So let's say you're an e-commerce store and you used to sell, for example, sake, you used to sell you know, a package of baked goods in person and people would transact in person because of what's happening with the pandemic. We really in person hasn't been um, 
as profitable or as favorable with a lot of different lockdowns and shifts and changes. So you change you change that to transact online. And now there's curbside pickup, there's different opportunities in that way. The third is looking at how can you evolve and do digital transformation and focus where your customers are at and create new value based on where they're currently, you know, interacting with your business, the channels of that interaction, as well as um, the opportunities that you have to leverage existing assets to serve your customers in a new way. If that's a new service, if that's a new product, if that's an upsell, if that's an add-on, whatever it is, it's up to you to find that out. Um, and I do touch on that a bit in the book, Productive Profits, where we discuss what are the good things that your company is doing and how can you extract that and either create new services or products from that. Um, but to, to give um, a, a concise answer to your, to your question, the shifts that are happening, like I've been remote since 2000 and I don't know, 16, right? So I've been doing this Zoom thing since then. A lot of people haven't. And what we're seeing is that humans will always need another human connection. So it's amazing that we can do this across the world, you and I here over, you know, over, over online and being able to record this podcast. But also when you're looking at your customers or your clientele or your private clients, how are you going to interact with them and be able to still have that human touch point to understand that they're not a transaction to make them sure, make sure that you can, you know, delight your customers along the way. Because when it comes to a, pro a service, especially services, products, you know, sometimes have product failures and you can improve the product. But especially for services, there is going to be a time where either you or your team are not going to be able to deliver that service at the same level as the client expects. That's just human nature. However, what makes up for that is your customer service, the way that you delight your customers, the experience that you give to your customers and making sure that we um, adapt to that. Um, I know that a lot of companies like um, that used to have offices, may have flex hours in the future. Maybe no one's going to come into the office at the same time anymore, but we're still going to have like those, those interactions where teams can have um, synergistic movements where leaders will be able to connect with their teams in a one-on-one -on -one session, either through Zoom or through in the future, perhaps socially distant environments. But this elongated answer to, to focus on what you're mentioning is find ways to continue to serve your customers in ways that they now expect it, but also in ways that you can delight them, ways that they don't expect it. And when you're working with your team, being able to approach them and create a, uh, a relationship, uh, obviously a professional relationship with them and making sure that they're good, even if we're all in a remote setting, even though we might not go back to a new normal, even though whatever tomorrow may be, is gonna be significantly different than what we predicted to be today because of the inconsistencies we can still go back to the principles that humans do business with humans and that humans inspire other humans through personal touch points by actually caring and by being present. I love that and I agree 100%. I used to say on my podcast and earlier episodes that human connection is the only lasting competitive advantage. So it's absolutely wonderful to see that, yes, although we might be apart, we need to keep that humanity and even magnify it even more so that it's not a transactional kind of relationship to keep that growing and lifetime exchange of value going. And I like that very much. And exactly. I like, thank you. And Raul, to you, when you look at the future for yourself, the next steps, and I know maybe it's a lot like that speech by Steve Jobs where in hindsight <laughs> things look 
so organized and as if one thing led to the other so neatly, but when you are looking at them, they seem so chaotic and uh, more scary to go through that journey and not really having a vision, but the plan wasn't absolutely clear there. But to you, what would be your vision for yourself, your work, your impact, your business for the next five or so years? That's a great question. And and I, and I appreciate that you mentioned that it looks organized, it looks clean. But I think when you actually, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to look under the hood of several businesses. And by several, I mean, like, more than dozens. I don't want to say hundreds, because I, I definitely want to be very accurate. It's close to hundreds. But there, there's a lot more going on that meets the eye. When it comes to that, it's okay. It's okay to understand that there is chaos, but it's how you make your way through it, how you make your way through managing all these different stress points and being okay with moving forward. And I think that's kind of the art of entrepreneurship. But uh, for for what I'm looking to do, you know, um, next year, I mean, thankfully this year has been, I've been online, my clients have been online and we've been working um, our way through this. Um, next year is still continuing to grow for me. Um, my main goal really is to start developing another team, um, you know, internally for for my current company and being able to service clients at a different level where I don't just, uh, where I can scale myself, but also scale a team uh, and being able to provide, you know, impact-based initiatives in companies and helping them in not in six months time, but in eight weeks time uh, and doing that allows allows me to not only see uh, more the, the the fruit of our labors faster, but it also helps companies that need speed and efficiency quickly, um, as well as giving me the opportunity to continue to, um, you know, fuel uh, the economy and being able to, you know, hire those those key players, which is a responsibility as a, as a business owner and an entrepreneur that I, I don't take very lightly. And it's a privilege to do so. I really like what you said there. It reminds me of the theory of constraint concept of bottlenecks. And the ultimate one in entrepreneurial ventures is when you become the bottleneck and need to scale and replace yourself with something much higher leverage. And I assume you're even taking it to the next level where you want to create higher leverage for yourself as well as scale your own team in a way where you multiply their effectiveness and their power as well as the impact. And Raul, to you, when you look at your um, two things, what are your favorite mental models that you use every day to have more control over the chaos we call life? And the second is, what is your own biggest strength that you don't delegate uh, so that you have clarity on that and you delegate everything else because many people might not know or be sure what is that highest leverage skill that they have and therefore they're afraid to delegate and maybe hearing about your own and uh, other uh, high leverage skills that you have seen in other entrepreneurs can inspire them to delegate more and therefore get more with a lot better experience working? Those are really, really good questions. Uh, the, the first question on the mental models, I always think in terms of principles, 
So first principle thinking is why I want to find something's essence. I want to find what is the actual truth behind this technique, this methodology, and what does it apply to? The nice thing is that there are not a lot of principles. There's, there's very few that control, like there's very few laws in science, right? So there's very few principles there. Uh, the second mental model, sometimes I look at, um, I think it's, is it Occam's razor, I believe, and also Helena's razor, um, but just being able to understand like, what is like the data telling us? What is the most obvious thing? And, and if I'm overcomplicating things, don't, like just don't overcomplicate things and just act. Um, and I know that's not principle thinking, but it's just kind of like how I operate. It's like, um, intuition, focus, and act, and being able to practice that on a daily basis is very, very important. And obviously, when you're looking at important decisions, don't uh, don't take this this um, this advice of just winging things. It's never good. But looking at every option and being able to make the best assessment and decision based on the data, based on feedback, and based on even from talking to peers, mentors, or coaches. Um, and then the other question you mentioned, like, what are things to to delegate? Or is it what, what areas should leaders delegate to? Yes, and even more essentially, since you know each person should focus on their highest leverage skills, what are you consider your own highest leverage skills so that you delegate everything else? And some examples you notice in other entrepreneurs to inspire the listener to know, oh, maybe I resonate with that, so I should focus on that and feel more free to delegate everything else. That's interesting. I do I do have like an exercise in the book that goes through this, but I think that to make it easier, you have to know yourself first. You have to understand what kind of mind and skills and talents you have. For example, I'm very, very good at making complicated things simple. And I'm not saying that because I, I know that. I'm saying that because others have told me that. And not just once, but almost consistently every single time. And that skill set, you either have to have a feedback loop of like doing a 360 um, or just talking to, you know, I think the 360 would be the best one where you talk to peers, um, family members, uh, coworkers, bosses, employees, and just letting you know like, what are my talents? What are my skill sets? What am I weak on? Having a personal assessment around that, then you can focus what I actually enjoy. And the joy isn't around like finding your passion, because um, I think that can be very dangerous advice. The joy is like what actually exhilarates you to the fact that you love doing this. Um, that's one way of finding what your highest skill set, because typically what you enjoy, you're pretty good at. Um, the other one is, even if it's not joyful, what brings the most value to my customers, to the marketplace, even if I don't enjoy it, like that's okay. Like, I mean, in, in life they're suffering, but what do you do that you have and no one else does that brings the most value and creates the largest impact? Because therefore it's your responsibility to be able to provide for that even when you don't feel like it. And I know that kind of sounds like Chaco willing if you don't feel like it, but at this point, it's like, what what can you actually do? And from there, when the, the intersection between impact and then high value will be where you have the intersection of profit and your mission. And that's where you create um, you know, you create more impact for the for your for your customers for the marketplace. Um, to be able to identify that, you know, there's you can identify from different ways of thinking. Like, are you a visionary when it comes to entrepreneurship? Are you a starter? 
Um, are you a systems person? Are you uh, oriented on um, technique? Like, what is that special gift that you have? That special skill set? In what ways do your minds work? Does your mind work? That's unique and views things differently from others. And you have to, uh, you know, learn that over time, but also assess that through. You can take different personality tests, but even even those aren't as accurate. It's just good to understand like what is valuable. And if you don't know, talk to those who um, who work in industries that you want to be in or that you want to work into or the, those that were very successful in your industry because they see that they would see value at a different perspective than you do. Um, and I think that gives you the self-awareness to understand what can I delegate um, and typically delegation is, you can do this through different metrics. The first metric is time, um, time money. So if it's spending a lot of time and producing little income or little revenue for the business, then maybe you should find someone who could do it for you and pay them an hourly wage or pay them a salary or just do, um, a vendor service relationship. Um, another one is looking at what is, like we talked about earlier, what is something that only you can do right now? because of your current skill sets before you actually systemize it and train others to do it for you and being able to hire the right people. Um, so those are the, my two pieces of advice there. I love them and they are very true and very, very valuable. And since you touched on systemization and you said that your skill is the ability to explain something complex in a simple way, I'm sure many founders listening and many of my audience I've heard all the spiel about the importance of systems and systemization and how it works, but it still feels like a black box. Can you give a simple way to get across the message about what really is the essence of systemization and why is it important? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's we the way that we view it that makes it a black box. Like here, here, here's it in simple terms. Systemizing a business is not the hard thing. It's so easy. It's so easy to systemize ones and zeros because it's a business. It's a system. What's hard to systemize, which you can't and shouldn't, are humans because you need humans to still work in a business. Like we were, at least not yet, we're in the point where level three AI does everything for us in our business. But um, yeah, when it comes to look at your business differently and like the business itself is a machine. It has to be a machine, a predictable machine that spits out value or a product. The people though, you can't systemize people. So your approach to people, that's where empathy, emotional intelligence, leadership, um, mindset, uh, mission-based organizations like uh, attaching your mission, your purpose, your why, um, that's where that comes in. Those are what people call soft skills, but those are even sometimes the most important. Um, so when it comes to a business, like if you're, you're listening to this right now and you're 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 curious and questioning, like why does systems matter? What is, I would say, what is your favorite product that you use? And some people might say their iPhone. Some people might say the, their their Keurig coffee machine, or or going to Starbucks or getting you know something that delights them. When you open your iPhone, when you turn on your Cura, when you go to start, you expect a certain level of output. You expect a certain level of service. You expect the same thing to happen and to happen in a way that it meets your expectations, but also meets your needs. If they can also satisfy you, like this is a branding play, this is a branding talk here where, where products or service can delight you on top of meeting your needs and satisfying you. That in itself 
is a system. You have to be able to deliver that. I don't care if you're doing a service, if you're producing a SaaS, or if you're producing a product, like a widget. It has to meet a certain level of expectation, and it has to be consistent, and it has to be done without you. Those three things are what we call, quote unquote, systemization or systemizing a company. Because when it comes to the marketplace, like you have to be able to produce that at the level that the market expects it to. And if you want to justify certain price points, then you have to justify certain expectations or scale or even cost efficiencies for your side. So there's a lot of different dynamics to look at this. And I think systemizing a business is like base level zero, right? That's step one. Step two is being able to, how can I grow, expand? What are some opportunities? Um, what are some cost factors? How can I have the best people in my team? Um, then from there, you get to higher level questions or issues when it comes to leadership or mindset. Um, and it kind of takes its natural path in, in business. If I were to look at um, kind of like the evolution of a business from a needs standpoint, you know, obviously in the beginning, sales and marketing are the most important and they'll never stop being important. But that's why we have so many books or trainings or strategies around sales and marketing because everyone needs it and they continue to always need it. But once you get that and you stabilize that, the next stage is, you know, teamwork, leadership, you know, teamwork, leadership, um, and then being able to systemize what you're doing correctly so that you can scale your services. Then above that, it becomes people problems. How do I manage the right people? How do I hire the right people? How do I get the right benefits? How to make sure that they're happy? That comes in back to leadership and then mindset. And then as a leader itself, then you're looking at purpose, mindset, and then what other opportunities you can create systems around in the business. So I know that's an elongated answer for that. But when you're looking at systems, system isn't this, this one black box. It's more how can I pre create predictability and attach that to the goals that I have for my life, for my team, for my business. That was very clear. Thank you. It actually explained a lot. And I'm sure every single person listening will find that, especially this part, so valuable. I should put it in before the intro a bit as a teaser. I think <laughs> it's really good. And if people would like to know more, to read your book, uh, wh where can they connect with you? Where can they discover more, hear more, and know more? I appreciate that. And thank you again for having me on. Uh, the best place is going to be dogoodwork.io, dogoodwork.io. It's just a website. Uh, you'll have access to everything there. Get, get in touch with me, connect on LinkedIn. But everything is there and be more uh, more than uh, happy to connect with anyone who comes your way, my way from the, the podcast. Thank you, Raul. I wish you a great day and it's a pleasure. Pleasure's on mine. Thank you. Mm -hmm.